Good evening. Isn't it great to be able to come together and encourage one another and sing praises to our God and to worship Him and offer up prayers on others' behalf on a Sunday evening. And I want to thank our families for being here. We have several children that were down here um, doing uh, pew packers, but also there's several uh, back with uh, some of the parents um, going through uh, Children's Bible Hour, and I just wanted to thank them for that, but also encourage you. If, if you have a desire and an opportunity, uh, they I'm sure they could use some volunteers to give those parents a break so they can also have the opportunity to be uh, in Bible study on Sunday evenings. So if you're at all interested in helping out with the Children's Bible Hour, uh, they have a curriculum, uh, they have a plan, so uh, they would be able to share that with you. But if you're interested in that and can do that, or know of someone, or can encourage someone, please see myself or Dustin, and we'll make sure you or they get plugged in. Um, bear with me just a minute. I have several uh, prayer requests that I want to uh, share with you. Uh, this morning we mentioned that uh, Kathy Rains uh, had some tests last week and she is now cancer free and so she wanted to thank everyone for prayers and we're glad for that. She also uh, had a friend, uh, Pat Shelby, who has had two serious operations uh, in St. Thomas Hospital and is requesting prayers and we want to remember that family as well. Um, also, uh, Abe Bailey, uh, his cousin, Sandra Price, uh, she's a part of the Casey family. Uh, she passed away today, and so we want to... Uh... Oh, she's in the hospital. Okay, she's in the hospital. Um, so if you can pray for her um, and, and her family. Uh, she's, she's not in, in... She's had some complications, and she's in the hospital. So pray for Sandra and the Casey family. Um, also, we want to let you know that Eddie Harden's family, uh, our father, is in Harden Medical Center, and so we want to remember uh, Eddie's father at this time. Um, is also, uh, maybe you are aware, I'm sure you are, many from here uh, know Philip Meek, uh, that he passed away the other day, and um, we want to remember that family and let you know his visitation is tonight from 6 to 9 p.m. Uh, down the street at Love and Truth, uh, and his service will be tomorrow at 1 p.m. at Love and Truth. So if you can remember uh, those families, uh, I know that they would uh, greatly appreciate that. Also, I got another uh, a text this afternoon or earlier today from Sharon Hagee. Uh, Sharon's uh, struggling. Um, in fact, she said before she has an appointment Thursday. She said before Thursday she may even end up in uh, the ER because she's still struggling to, uh, to breathe uh, and is on oxygen. But she does have an appointment at Vanderbilt uh, this Thursday at 11.15. And so if anyone is available this Thursday to take her uh, to her appointment, you know her dad, Glenn, uh, has taken her uh, on all of her appointments, but Glenn's having his own struggles uh, in waiting to do a heart cath down in Corinth. Um, so, um, and she has a friend that normally would take her, but she has the flu. And so if anyone is able to take Miss Sharon Hagee to Vanderbilt for her appointment, this Thursday, uh, please let us know. So there's a lot going on and a lot of families that we need to remember in prayer. So before we begin our study tonight, let's approach our Heavenly Father in prayer. Let us pray. Holy Father, we 
come before You. We thank You so much for all that You have given us. We thank You for the rain. Father, we thank You for the sunshine. We thank You for the snow. We thank You for the changing of seasons. Father, we thank You for our lives. We thank You for safety. We thank You for the way that You work in our lives. We thank You for the church. Most of all, we thank You for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, as we pause this evening, we have several that we want to remember. Father, we pray for Pat Shelby. We pray that You will be with her. Uh, Father, that You will be with her body. And Father, help her to recover from these surgeries. Father, we pray that You will bless her and be with her family. Father, we pray for Sandra Price and the complications and the difficulties she's having. And uh, Father, as she's in the hospital, we just pray, Father, that You will... Uh, that you will be with her, that you will bless her, and Father, be with her family as well, the Casey family. And just bless them, uh, Father. And we pray that uh, Miss Sandra can, uh, in her condition, can improve. Father, we pray for the Philip Meek family in their loss. We pray that you will bless them, that you will comfort them, and that you will uh, watch over them and be with them during this difficult time. Father, we pray that you will be with. Uh, Eddie Harden's father. We pray that you will bless him and Father that um, uh, that you will be with him at this, at this time. Father, we also are mindful of our sister Sharon Hagee, Father, as she is having difficulty breathing. And Father, we just she has an appointment this week. We pray, Father, that she might be able to get some relief uh, either locally or. Uh, with her appointment coming up Thursday. And Father, we pray that that, will point, uh, that appointment will go well. Father, there are many on our prayer list, and we ask that you will be with each and every one of those individuals and those families. And Father, to, that you will bless them and help them through these times. Father, we again thank you for the opportunity to be here and study your word. We pray that you'll bless our study tonight. Father, we also pray that you will be with us uh, come next Sunday. We are thankful Brother Light will be with us, and we just pray that you will uh, bless him with safe travel. And Father, we pray that um, we will have opportunity to invite others uh, to this special day. Father, as he speaks to us about your grace. And Father, we pray that that will be a great day. Father, we pray that you will give us a great week this week. And Father, that we will look for opportunities, that you will give us opportunities, Father, to share Jesus through the way that we live and sometimes through our words. Father, we thank you for those opportunities. Father, again, bless our time together tonight. Bless our wonderful church family. And Father, we pray that you'll be with our elders and bless them. Give them the wisdom and the vision that they need to lead this congregation. Father, we thank you for all things. Forgive us of all of our many sins. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 and chapter 4. As we think about this word, repent. Uh, in Matthew chapter 3, uh, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In the next chapter, chapter 4, um, in verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven it has come near. But what does the word repent mean? 
In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word that comes from a primitive root meaning to sigh or to breathe deeply appears at least 100 times in the Old Testament. More than half of those references are to comfort. Like Genesis 37 and verse 35. And about 40 of those references are translated repent, regret, change of mind, even in the Old Testament. Genesis 6 and verse 6, the Lord regretted that He had made human beings on the earth. Exodus 32 and verse 14, then the Lord relented and did not bring on His people the disaster He had threatened or the disaster that He had said would come. Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19 is another example. God is not a human being and that He should change His mind. The examples in Genesis chapter 6 and Exodus chapter 32, they do not apply, uh, imply anything contrary to God's immutability. However, God's decision can be influenced negatively or positively. For example, in Noah's case, um, he made inter- intercessory prayer, uh, as also did Moses. In the New Testament, the word is translated repent or repentance and is almost always connected to individual to an individual's response to sin. Now the verb form of this word literally means to perceive afterwards. It means to think differently. It means to change your mind, change your direction or purpose. Also in the New Testament, it always involves a change for the better. Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Acts 2 and verse 38, repent and be baptized. The noun version of the same word means means a change of mind. Repentance and usually describes repentance from sin or evil. Like Luke chapter 3 and verse 8. Bear fruits, keeping with repentance. Second Peter chapter three and verse nine. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That was that's God's desire. Is that people will turn from the ways of the world and will turn to God. And we'll see uh, when we get into some of these scriptures here. We'll see that word turn or return. That's God's desire. Has been uh, from the Old Testament all through the New Testament. That's what God wants for people. To return to Him. To turn away from the ways of the world. Uh, In Acts chapter 8 and verse 20. You remember uh, those that practiced sorcery? Uh, One gentleman said this about that section of Scripture, that these young believers, instead of realizing the monetary value of their magic spells by selling them, were willing to throw them on a bonfire, what was a signal that conversions uh, are the evidence of their genuineness of their conversion. So let's turn to some Scriptures and see uh, this word repent in action and what it means. Turn over in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3. Now we're going to look at Jeremiah 3, Hosea chapter 6, and 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And we'll see that idea of returning, of pleading to these people through these prophets to return to God. Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 22 and 23. The prophet writes, Return, you backsliding children, and I will heal your backsliding. Indeed, we do come 
to you, for you are the Lord our God. Truly in vain is salvation hoped for from the hills and from the multitude of the mountains. Truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. And turn back to the book of Hosea. Uh, Turn over to the book of Hosea chapter 6. Hosea chapter 6. And we see this idea, this pleading of of God through His prophets, return to Him. Hosea chapter 6. Hosea is an interesting book, by the way. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 1. The prophet says, Come and let us return. It's that word for repent. Return to the Lord. For He is torn, and I I underline this in my Bible, because look at the contrast. For He is torn, but... He will heal us when we return. He has stricken, but He will bind us up once we return. After two days, He will revive us. On the third day, He will raise us up uh, that we may live in His sight. Let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain on the earth. And then 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. We'll see Jehoshaphat and Judah here pleading for the people, but also uh, for them seeking prayer, seeking refuge uh, in God. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 3. And Jehoshaphat feared and sent himself, set himself to seek the Lord, to turn to the Lord, and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. The concept of challenging people to repent and change their minds and direction and the ways is found in the Old Testament and is illustrated in various ways. One of these ways is here in Jeremiah's call to return. And Hosea's challenge to come let us return. And Jehoshaphat, don't say that fast by the way, Jehoshaphat's call to prayer and fasting during this national crisis. And so the idea of repentance is this return to God. And then over in the New Testament, Luke chapter 15. By the way, let me make another plug for the devotional book. Um, we do have a few more of those. If you do not have that, uh, we also can, we have that in, um, uh, in electronic format. So if you would like to have that electronically, just let us know. Uh, these scriptures that we read through each week are in those devotional books. Luke chapter 15. Uh, now we won't read the whole chapter, but I want to notice in some of these parables. The parable of the lost sheep. You remember Jesus tells this parable of the one who leaves the 99 and goes out to seek that one lost sheep. It's lost and it needs to be found. It's been separated from its owner and it needs to be returned. And that's the idea of us of reconciliation and redemption. And that's why we need to return to God. But in that parable, verse 7, it says, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, over one sinner who returns to God, than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. There's joy in heaven 
when one repents. Also, you remember the parable of the lost coin and, and how uh, she, uh, she loses the coin, she rearranges her house, sweeps the floor looking for that one coin, and then she finds it. Uh, and she calls her friends together to rejoice. And verse 10 says, Likewise I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God. Why? Over one sinner who repents. Over one sinner who returns to God. And we'll talk about some things that result from that returning in just a moment. And then we see the parable of the lost son. And his returning to the Father. He left for a while and now he's returning. I have a friend that uh, works in inner city ministry down in Mobile, Alabama. Brother Chuck, when he talks about people or, or he tells us about people that maybe we've uh, got to know through some of the uh, works in working with that church, when we'll ask about so-and-so, he will say, he's gone to the far country. And he takes that from this parable. Because they've left the church, they've left the ways of God, and the, the plea there is for them to return, to repent and return. And that's what happens here in this parable. He does go to the far country, but he comes back. And he asks him, uh, he asks his father, let me be like one of your hired servants. And we remember, remember the example of the father. Kill the fatted calf. Well, let's have a, let's have a feast for my son who was lost. He is found. He has been returned. One gentleman said this about Luke 15. This chapter makes it clear that there is one message of salvation. God welcomes and forgives repentant sinners. But these parables also reveal that there are two aspects to this salvation. There is God's part. The shepherd seeks the lost sheep. And the woman searches for the lost coin. But there is also man's part in salvation. For the wayward son willingly repented and returned home. To emphasize, but one aspect is to give a false view of salvation. For both the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man must be considered. They both go hand in hand. Turn into the New Testament book of Acts chapter 2. You know this section of Scripture really well. And that famous passage there, Acts chapter 2, verses 37, 38, and 39. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent. Return to God. Make a change. Because you have lived in such a way, you had made decisions that are contrary to God, and there put Jesus on the cross, killing the Son of God. You repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. These people, when questioned, or when they questioned, when they heard this lesson, the Bible says they were cut to the heart. They were ready to change. They were ready 
to go in a new direction. And Peter says, repent. Repent. One person said, we repent. We think differently. Realize that we are lost and cannot save ourselves and that only Jesus can and are to be baptized, sharing in His death, burial, and resurrection like Romans 6 and Colossians chapter 2. As a result of our repentance, of one's repentance and returning back to God, it is God then who forgives sins and gives and promises the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want you to turn back uh, to the book of Matthew. We have several scriptures we want to remember here. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 8. And what we're going to notice in these sections of scriptures is that repentance is not just an attitude. Action follows repentance. It's not just this idea of this attitude. Action follows repentance. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 8. Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. Turn to Acts chapter 26. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. So what's the idea of bearing fruit? That means growing. That means action. That means something is produced. There has been some sort of action. And so repentance is not just this attitude, this idea. It requires some action. Acts chapter 26 and verse 20. Luke records, "...but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance." So uh, the uh, writer of Acts, Luke, tells us that that's what repentance does. It not only uh, we go in a change of direction, not only we change our mind and our thought process, but it requires action. So we do works that are befitting of repentance, that would show repentance and that we have repented and changed. Matthew chapter 5 is another example. Matthew chapter 5 there in the Sermon on the Mount uh, in verses 29 and 30. 29 and 30. uh, Jesus had these words to say. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. And cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right eye, right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. In other words, if something is, is coming in between your relationship with God, then put it aside. Put it aside and show and live that works and do those works befitting of repentance. Acts chapter 19 and verse 19 is also one more passage that illustrates this. Acts chapter 19 and verse 19, Luke writes, Also, Many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them. And it 
totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. These people here, um, though this, these books uh, totaled 50,000 pieces of silver, it, it was books of magic, books that got in their way of, of living for God. And so doing works of repentance... Doing that action, they put those books aside and they, 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 they did away with them. And so they did not need them anymore. They cut them off. Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, he met Jesus. You remember what he said? He said, I'm going to give half of my wealth to the poor. And he promised to pay back quadruple anyone that he had cheated. Repentance can be very costly. But repentance is necessary. Returning to God is necessary. One person said this about these passages of Scripture. In his book, I Surrender, Patrick Morley writes that the church's integrity integrity problem is in the misconception that we can add Christ to our lives, but not subtract sin. It is a change in belief without a change in behavior. He goes on to say it is revival without reformation, without repentance. And so when we live lives of repentance, that should be evident to those around us. That should be evident by the way we live. And one final passage tonight, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says this, for even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort, and we rejoice exceedingly more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. I've heard someone say before that one of the things Paul is trying to get across is that not that a person is sorry that they were caught, that's not repentance. 
but sorrow, sorrow, godly sorrow, that I have offended and disappointed God. And one of the things that I think about, uh, that I believe we've mentioned recently, either uh, here in the auditorium or in a class, about Joseph. In the book of Genesis chapter 39, do you remember Joseph's attitude? When Mrs. Potiphar had come to him, he said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You see, I believe Joseph realized something. That when I sin, it's against God. When I sin, I disappoint God. And that godly sorrow, when I've disappointed God, when I've sinned against God, produces repentance. Repentance. One person has said this. What is the difference between God's way of sadness and the world's way of sadness? The two two types can be seen sharply set out in two of the central characters of the gospel story. On the night of the Last Supper, Peter followed Jesus to the high priest's house where he proceeded to deny three times that he had never known Jesus. On realizing what he had done, Peter went out and cried like a baby. That's the first step toward the restoration that came with Jesus' appearance to him. And the remarkable remarkable conversation with Jesus by the lakeshore, John chapter 21. His sadness led him to repentance. And that was a cause ultimately for rejoicing. You see, this is an example this guy gives about Peter. Peter sinned, he disappointed God. I imagine, I love Luke's record of Peter's denial. Because Luke records that when the rooster crowed that third time, Jesus turned and He looked at Peter. Peter faced the one that he had denied. Peter saw the disappointment. But I think Peter also saw the love. And it caused him to be so sorrowful in a godly way that he repented. Then he goes on and gives another example. On the other hand, Judas, who had betrayed Jesus, showing the high priest's servants where to find him in the dark, was plunged into the darker depths of the world's way of sadness. In Matthew's account, he flings down the money he'd been paid at the feet of the chief priest and goes off and hangs himself. Two types of sadness. Two types of results. Godly sorrow should lead to repentance. But then there's a sorrow of the world. Like Paul said, sorrow of the world produces death. The ways of the world can promise all kinds of pleasure. But for the child of God, that greatly disappoints our Heavenly Father. Why? Because He gave all for us. And so when we 
make mistakes, when we mess up, when we do things that are contrary to God's will, let us to continue, not one-time repentance on the day we were immersed into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, but let us live lives of repentance because we are not perfect. Like David. David, a man after God's own heart, made some grave mistakes. But the Bible tells us he repented and he returned to God. And that sorrow leads to repentance. And that repentance leads to works befitting of a change in my life. Maybe you're here tonight and you need to make that initial step of repentance and say, you know, I'm tired of living that old life. I'm ready to live a new life. I'm ready to leave that life and I'm ready to turn to Almighty God. I'm ready to surrender all as we sing about this morning. And I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. And that repentance that leads to that action can lead to rejoicing. Maybe you're here tonight, and like we've talked about, maybe you've made some mistakes, uh, like Mark uh, testified to this morning. And he wanted to make those things right. He wanted to return to God. You can do that tonight. And we can surround you, we can love you, and we can pray with you and pray for you. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, don't wait another moment, but come forward and let's assist you any way we can as together we stand and sing. Oh, do not